Well, hello, everyone. This is Allison Lee, your host here at CraftCast.com. And on today's show, I'll be talking with Mr. Bruce Metcalf, artist, teacher, and author, as well as lots of things to share, music and apps. So let's get started. Show number 188. Starting the day again. Oh, yeah. Letting the sun shine in. Uh Oh, I'm going to dig within myself. Uh oh. Life may be never what you think, but I think I'll just go with it and create something new. Just get yourself right into your chair. Come on, listen, you can learn to create something new. Well, hello, hello, and welcome back to another week here coming from the Craftcast studio outside of New York City, nestled away by the Hudson River, where it better not snow one more time is all I can say. (laughs) I do have a few little crocuses coming up, so that's very exciting. It's a land of gray dirt, and then all of a sudden, these little... I think they're mini crocuses. You see a little array of white, yellow, and purple defying its environment. It's very exciting. Spring is coming, please. It's April. Enough. Enough, I'm saying. And I hope all of you are uh, entering spring or fall, what side of the planet you're on. All depends upon that and that you're all doing well out there. Oh, and I have some things in store for you today. Uh, Coming up, my talk with Bruce Metcalf which I love because, you know, I love to get onto subjects that are opinionated. You know, I love a good opinion. (laughs) So we got to do some opinionated talking. Uh, But before that, I'm going to share a few things with you. First, I want to tell you, I have some classes coming up. I'm excited next week. So what day is that? April, what are we today? April 4. Uh, What is it? April... Oh, I don't know. I have to look it up while I'm talking here. Uh, I'm teaching live online my patina cuff class. So if you want to play around uh, with patinas and take my class live with me, it's so fun, my class. I'm just telling you. Uh, sign up over at craftcast.com. It is the 9th of April. And if you're listening to this after the fact, the recording will be available to purchase. As well as I have another class that I'm teaching besides the great classes of making stuff at craftcast.com. But there's a new class that I'm teaching called Don't Quit Your Day Dream. So many of you have talked to me about, uh, I've had questions about how to do businesses, you know, how did I do craftcast, all that type of thing. I've put together a four-part class, uh, four parts plus one live bonus question, and uh, it's recorded so you can listen to it wherever you want, that type of thing. But lots of exercises and lots of information on uh, how you don't have to give up your daydream, how to move that forward out of your head, how to get started in living the life and, and making money the way you want to make it. Uh, and if I did it, people, if I did it, I'm just telling you right now, holding my hand across my heart, you could do it. So just saying. Uh, so I'm telling it all, putting it all out there. So that class goes on sale mid-April and starts um, April 28th. So take a look at that. Uh, and then I have uh, some two books I wanted to talk to you about, uh, share with you. One is called Paper Garden by Molly Peacock. I actually saw it. I was at the uh, Botanical Garden in the Bronx for the orchid exhibit. And of course I have a great gift shop. And of course it's great to be surrounded by thousands and thousands of orchids. And I I'd heard about this book someplace and there, here's the funny story. I was asking the person in the store if they were familiar with this story, a book called Paper Garden. I thought that was the title. And it was about a woman who started her artist work at the age of 72 and she started cutting paper, and creating botanicals. And she's leaning on the books and going, you know, I haven't heard of anything like that. And whatever. She walked away and guess what book she was leaning on when she lifted up her hand. <laughs> that was it. Uh, so it is inspiring as well as, I just love the pictures also of the artwork. You know, she started um, 72, it said, and she 
and this is going back a bunch of years ago. This is not current. Uh, this is probably a hundred years ago. Is that, I'm so bad with numbers, so don't quote me on that. But she saw some papers that were in the colors of her favorite flower and she started cutting. But I'm telling you, these look like botanical drawings, paintings, but they're cut with paper. Uh, anyway, I love people just recreating themselves at all ages. So you might want to enjoy that. It's really, really pretty, really pretty book. Uh, Paper Garden by Molly Peacock. And then the other one, and my friend Suzanne McNinley turned me on to this one, Remodelista by Julie Carlson. You know, this is the old fashioned coffee table books we used to refer to them as. And this, and when I was in the business of publishing a shelter book, meaning, you know, it talks about homes and how to decorate. And I'll tell you a little secret, go to amazon.com. The look inside is huge. You get to see a ton of the book. And I, you know, I know so many of you listening are visually inspired and this is visually inspired for creating your space and your home. And I think it really appeals to the artist type. This is not just the, um, uh, interior decorator type at all. This is really, uh, the designer, the artist, artist spaces, lofts, you know, things that appeal certainly to me. I'm enjoying it a lot. So I put that out to all you guys too, if you want to check that out, but you can get a really good look of what you're getting, uh, before getting it. If you go to Amazon and type it in and look at one of their look inside little links, and that's called Remodelista by Julie Carlson. I think there's also a website by the same name. That's the deal. That's the, they have a website. Uh, and then sometimes I forget, I use things a lot and you guys might not know about it. That's how we all share and learn from each other. Um, things like apps and all of that, books and all this kind of stuff, tools. Uh, Google Hangout. If you use Gmail, I think that's the only way you can do it. You have to have Gmail. Uh, and I use Gmail. There's um, video hangouts is what they are. I used to be a Skype person for that, but I think Skype costs money now when you want to share your screen or do anything. And Facebook making video calls. Yes, you could do video calls through Facebook. Got funky with Macs when the Macs upgraded, I don't know, like six months ago. Somewhere around there. Anyway, by accident, I switched over to Gmail and using Google Hangouts. And they're really great. They're really putting a lot of time, money, and energy into building that system. Uh, so you can do huge hangouts with, I think, thousands of people. I'm only familiar with using uh, the software I use for um, I Love Tools live events and the online classes. But this has a lot of possibilities as well. So check that out, Google Hangout. Or, and if you've never done video chats with people, I love it. I love that. So And I use, use it for that as well. So uh, you can check that out. Just Google, Google Hangout. <laughs> And uh, it's easy to set up. It connects right to your contacts, even. It gets ridiculously easy, actually, to set up. Uh, and then a tool, this falls under the tool category, snakeclamp.com. They have different monopods, I would call them, for your camera. Uh, and actually, um, Lisa Pavelka, who taught live with me last week, oh, that was fun polymer clay class. She turned me on to it. And it's, you know, those like snaky lamps that bend that you put on your desk and you can bend them over or bend them straight up. It's one of those free, freestanding without a light, but really, 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 really strong. So you have to really use both hands to bend it so it can hold the weight of your camera. So you can really shoot if you're, you know, shooting your artwork or whatever. Uh, and then you put a clamp on the other end. And so you can, you know, have this clamp with a snake clamp hang from any direction and, you know, use that as your monopod for your still camera or your video camera. It works great. Uh, a little tip, if you're ordering it, it's not expensive. It's in like the $12 bracket. They make, um, I think it's a nine inch one and an 18 inch one. I got both. I ended up using the shorter one, but make sure you get the part you have to screw into the top that connects to your camera, that little screw that goes on the bottom of the camera that's sold separately. Uh, and the clamp part, you can pick a clamp base, you can pick a, a rounded base. They sell lots of bases too, but it's really a great tool for, 
you know, putting your camera someplace um, when you want your hands free and being able to, much easier to use than a tripod. Check that out, snakeclamp.com. Love that. All right, so today I am talking with Mr. Bruce Medcalf. Yes, he's a fabulous artist, a fabulous teacher and author. Uh, and we talk about all kinds of wonderful stuff. I think I love having this kind of conversation. So I hope you enjoy that. But before that, I have a piece of music today. Uh, I really like this song. Ann Davis performs it. The name of the song is Days Like These. So I hope you all enjoy that. And then come on back and I'll be chatting with Mr. Bruce Metcalf. The sun's still up in the sky The moon will find its place tonight And there's still a God And he knows my name The truth that no one can explain away, and there's still a love that's as near as the air I breathe. So I suppose things are better than they seem. Days like these I want to see the trees With their arms stretched up Towards the sky It's days like these I want to hear the birds singing Full circle, full circle in 
to talk to my next guest. Actually, my next guest was uh, interviewed a few years back on CraftCast. I love having these kind of conversations. Um, my guest today is co-author of Makers, 20th Century American Studio Crafts, as well as he was on the advisory committee for Craft in America, that wonderful television series. He's won numerous grants, fellowships, and awards. You can see his work in a bunch of galleries. And as he said, he is currently working. I'm so excited to introduce and talk to Mr. Bruce Medcap. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. Oh, my pleasure. So here's my first question. Where's your passion at today? Uh, most of my passion is just simply being in the studio and um, trying to be productive and, and turn out a lot of good work. Um, I've pretty much ignored almost everything else the last couple of years. But really? But been good. I'm very productive. So. And what does productive look like for you? I love it when people say, I had a productive day. What does that mean to you? Oh, to me? <laughs> I made 25 pieces last year. So it's the it's it's how many pieces you actually made. Yeah, I can count. And normally it, it's under fifteen and you know ten, twelve, but which is you know by most people's standards ridiculously small. Oh, really? Product. <laughs> yeah, I mean just hardly small, but but know, for you it's good. Time. And what is so? Does every day feel productive? No. No. <laughs> And what's an un- so what's an unproductive day? I love hearing what what you know how artists feel at the end of the day in their studios and what's what's unproductive look like. Oh, I have I have to do a lot of backtracking. I, uh, I mean, a lot of times I, I make a shape and I and I put it with the piece I'm working on and it just doesn't work and I have to carve another or um, you know I make I make a shape that just doesn't fit anywhere and it, it basically winds up in the parts pile i mean i waste a lot of time That's i read things, you know. it, 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 it's tremendously inefficient so i think i adore you even more now i love <laughs> tremendous inefficiency that way i call it it's just the three steps forward two steps back or two steps forward three steps back no i'm not willing to go there with you that way <laughs> so oh, now I'm what sure. And what is the passion that's fueling your production or your your not productive days? What's uh, driving you? I mean, that gets to the the basic core of my existence, and it's like, okay, what are you here for? I'm here to I'm here to make things. I'm, this is what my place in the world is to be a I maker. I love that. You're here to be a uh, maker. I I I I have to work with my hands. I don't really have a choice mm-hmm, in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to think compulsively about these things mm-hmm. at the same time uh, and, and be all obsessive and kind of nutty and stupid about it. 
Um, I have to ask you something about that. Don't you think what? most artists are that way, and that's why we sort of group together because that's the normal being obsessive, compulsive, and thinking about something? Or I think, that, I think good artists are, and I, I I also think the really good artists suffer a lot. I think it can be extremely painful. Because why? Because you doubt. Because uh, things don't work out well, and yeah. you, you flog yourself like, yeah. oh God, I'm so I'm such a no talent. You know, um, any of the good artists I know suffer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think creativity has that on the other side of it because I just read something the other day. You know, if you're creative, you think, oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's not so good. Oh, it's really disgusting. Oh, I'm a loser. Oh, wait, that looks okay. Oh, wait, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's not creativity. That's criticality. That's being able to look at your work and... and, and, Good point. uh, look at it with a critical eye and, and think, wait a minute, that's not so great. And I, I don't think everybody has that. I really don't. I think there are a lot of people who think everything they do is just fabulous. Aren't they lucky? No, they're not, because they're they're almost never very good. Oh, okay. All right. So, all right, so that's a good way to measure how good you are, <laughs> if you think you're um, good. <laughs> no one will fess up to it, but yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know a single really good artist who proceeds in an absolute straight line from success to success. I, I don't know any. I don't think that's possible. I think it's a circle. Uh, you're a sine wave. So, yeah, I mean, there's ups yeah, and downs. Yeah. And if you don't have the downs, you are. I don't think you're ever going to achieve greatness and, or even close uh, yeah, or even, even anything above mediocrity. That's my opinion. With you, but do we teach artists today that? Like, how do we know that? Uh, how do you know that? I, um, that's difficult to teach, but, I mean, when I taught, I, uh, one of the things I tried to show my students was that the first solution you come up with is rarely the best solution, and it, it simply requires sort of reexamining the problem and going through different iterations of 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 what kind of solutions you can come up with. And you know, it's funny, I have students you know, 30 years later telling me that they, they thought that was a really valuable life lesson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true. I mean, the first solution is rarely the best solution. Do you think, though, I think the first solution gets it out of your head, though, and out into the you know universe, so at least it gets you on the map to get going. It's that first solution. Right, it's a start, it, yeah. it's a start and it gets... Yeah. It gets it gets a process in motion, yeah. but it's only a start. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But that's good. Once, in, like once every three years, I have a first solution that's actually a really good solution. <laughs> How do you know it? Um, I, after I finish the piece, and I go, wow, that turned out. <laughs> and do you think you can teach people to be critical of their work? Is that a skill you can teach? You said before people are just, you know, that doesn't make greatness. So is there a, is that something you're born with? How does that happen, do you think? Well, like I said, I mean, I taught my students to, to look, to, to believe that the first solution is rarely the best solution. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you can teach it. But I think, I think being self-critical is, is something either most people have or don't. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of people who are, full of confidence and think everything they do is absolutely fabulous. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, whatever sort of pours out of their little brains is like, oh, that's the best thing in the world. And like I say, it rarely is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. So how are things changed since you started being a maker? What's the biggest well, shift? I started in 1970 yep. as a student. Um, the, the biggest change to me... Um, well, there have been stylistic changes. That's, that's obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, back right. in 1970, Scandinavian modern was still in the air. Right. It was very strong. Right. Um, and, and a kind of slick, polished uh, surfaces and metal and, you know, designy, very designy. Oh, good yeah, design. Bauhaus. Um, all that's gone. I mean, it has been <laughs> erased. It is gone. So, and now, you know, now we're, now we're dealing with, like, in jewelry, people like, sort of crusty, clunky things, and there's this uh, sense of authenticity that would have been absolutely mysterious back then. But I, I think other than changes in taste, the biggest difference is this tremendous um, change in professionalism in that there are now all these 
uh, procedures and codes and conducts of behavior about what it, what it is to be professional, and everybody does it, you know. So, I mean, now everybody knows how to write a resume. Everybody knows how to take a picture or hire a photographer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everybody knows how to package themselves. Uh, everybody knows what good, tasteful, saleable work looks like. Back in 1970, a lot of that was still up for negotiation. And it's had it's had it's it's a it's a double-edged sword, you know. On the one hand, people conduct themselves with a lot more sophistication and and confidence. On the other hand, standards of professionalism reach into realms of taste and mm-hmm. now have a very conservative force. You know, when you when, particularly in the in the marketplace, when you talk about professional craft, you kind of know what it looks like and. You know, it's well made. It's mm-hmm. nicely designed. You know, it's attractive. It's uh, it's something that uh, your mom would like. You know, mm-hmm. it's not not challenging. It's not um, difficult. It's not uh, it's not not provocative. You know, and that's a good word to use. I think in the seventies yeah, that I, was that was more looked at as putting on a pedestal. The provocative part, you think or no? Right, and and the thing is that all, a lot of these people claim to be artists, but if you know what goes on in the art world, those ideas of being challenging and provocative are embedded in that world, and you just don't find that much of it anymore in the craft world. I mean, you did in the seventies, mm-hmm. but it's. And I think largely because of our concepts of professionalism, the, the idea of provocation has kind of gone by the boards, and I really miss it. You know, I liked that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was definitely suited that time period. Well, don't you think it all goes around again? I mean, everything else does. Maybe that's where I, we're oh, sitting I, right on the edge of right now. Yeah, it remains to be seen. I, I think the things that are passing for pro- provocative now are pretty limp. <laughs> I love when people tell me exactly how they feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you get with me. <laughs> I love that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, and, and how do you think the whole DIY, the do-it-yourself movement in craft and young people, their influence, I mean, how do you think that has played into all of that? Because, um, you know, there's another generation of 20-year-olds becoming makers. Yeah, there's two things going on that. One, the, the, the visual taste is completely different. I mean, they like the clunky, uh, rough and ready stuff. You know, duct tape wall is, is cool. Yeah. And but within standards of craft professionalism, the duct tape uh, wallet is you know, out of bounds. You know, you wouldn't even think of it. So uh, millennials have this whole different idea of what's acceptable in terms of taste. And, you know, there's some... You know the things things in there about chaos and about um, kind of visual overload and um, found objects mm-hmm. and assemblage and, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other things that are part of that taste, um, which people most people my in my you know most baby boomers find incomprehensible Mm -hmm. but there's something else going on there Um, and because I have an understanding of history I kind of get it the the kids are moving the focus away from an aesthetic contemplation of the object to consideration of what the object actually does in the world so they were Mm -hmm. very interested things like sustainability local sourcing um, slow movements things that have to do with the social processes surrounding the object and that's that's really interesting because that stuff goes back to william morris i mean that's exactly the kinds of things that morris was talking about in the 1870s and 80s so uh, uh, for me i can, what i see is this realization of of an ambition that is you know more than a century old uh, the, the kids of course know nothing about that i'm just going to ask you is it just reborn from Nature that it's way. Coming, it, I mean, the, the the DIY thing reminds me of the hippies. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The hippies were concerned with the social context right. of the object too. You know, dropping out, going back to the land, self-reliance. Right. You know, all all those things. They're they're similar ideas, but but different. Um, 
and the impulse I think is is much the same. Is kind of about one form or another of responsibility. Well, do you think also uh, my view of watching uh, how social media, texting and Facebooking and Twittering and Instagramming and all of that affects the art world that way? Can you imagine if we had that all when the Woodstock was going on? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Uh, it yeah, would have been it, a different experience. There would have been, you know, it, that's what's so interesting because it's so... Yeah, it would so, not have been the same because Wood, yeah. Woodstock was so special. Yeah, yeah. It was a standalone. Yeah, and that's that's something that the millennials do, and they really rely on the interconnectedness that you get with digital media. And so it's a lot, a lot easier to get information, and it's a lot easier to share things, and yeah. it is a lot easier to find a form of support. It's also a lot easier to share whatever status the piece of art you're making is in, you know, the immediacy of it all. Uh, yeah. I think that changes, I don't know, I think that changes a lot of um, time put into things, the immediacy of all of it. Who has time? I, you may be right. I hadn't thought of that. Huh. I don't know. I know that the time thing is so, it's, you know, the multitasking and the time thing, it's hard to, you know find a lifestyle for I would think that age coming in that gives them the time of what was spent to do art and become good at uh, your your craft and put the thought process into it is there any yeah, time left for thinking <laughs> yeah in reference to that I'm a dinosaur because I I focus like crazy for hours and hours and days and months yeah which you know, not not a, a contemporary virtue well it's a wonderful virtue but it is you know, I sort of find myself sitting on both sides of that. So it's, you know, <clears throat> what's going on today is it's intense and it's it's so fast, it's overwhelming. Yeah, I can't possibly keep up. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You don't have to. It's not important. <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's you, you got enough on your plate going in there. Well, let's talk about this is something I had um, written to you about talking about what's up right now. Where There's a lot of talk being shared online about the copying of people's work and what that means. And I love to hear your opinion on all of that. Yeah, well, this is a topic that's been around for decades. Yeah. I mean, I remember hearing these conversations in the 70s. So it, it is absolutely not new. And um, I... I have limited uh, patience for people complaining. Oh, I hate this copycatting! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the thread on online, it's on Craft House, consisted largely of of rants and complaints of one sort or another. Uh, what I have no use for it. I, a complaint is going to get you nowhere. I I'm much more interested in formulating specific actions you know something mm -hmm. actionable mm -hmm. where, where we can do something mm -hmm. to solve the problem mm -hmm. and it's strange even after all this time i see no proposals for actual solutions i mean it's so odd the only the only concrete proposal that was advanced in the whole thread was Harriet Berman saying, oh, let's write some standards. And it's like, oh, give me a break. It, it, she, her idea is that if you have these rules out there that people are going to somehow naturally obey them, which is utterly false. I mean, people's <laughs> motives for copycatting are, are either they're insecure and they don't believe they have the stuff to make an original contribution or, or simple greed. You know, they, they see something that they, they have the technical facility to knock off and they know it sells, so they make a knockoff. You know, it's, I think it's one or the other. And you can't, you can't, you can't demotivate people who are either insecure or greedy. You know, it's not going to happen. So there has to be, Personally, I think the solution has to be punitive. I think you have to go, first you have to slap those people on the wrist, and then if it, if it persists, you have to ruin somebody. You have to take them to court, sue them for all they're worth, and basically break them. And the, the community is such that word gets around pretty quick. You know, most of these events don't occur isolated and uh, without generating news. So if you sued somebody for thirty or $40,000, and I, you know, I don't know enough about 
what you can get out of a copyright infringement lawsuit. So I don't even know if it's possible. But if you did, the word would get around. And I believe most, and in fact, I believe all these people understand that they are copying. And I think they they are equivocating with themselves if they tell themselves it's okay, particularly the people in the marketplace. They are not that unsophisticated. Mm-hmm. Hobbyists, maybe, but hobbyists get a pass. You know, the people who are making money off it, they know, and uh, they they are simply making a calculation that they will not get punished. So, and it's a business decision, actually. Uh, this, I can, I can get away with this, and most mm-hmm, of them do. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. once somebody can't get away from, with, with it and pays, and pays big money, then people will stop. And I think punishment is necessary, and... Do you think that it make them also become more personally creative? Will punishment? No, be- I don't care what happens with them. No. Um, <laughs> I'm just wondering if it would work that way, though. No, no, okay. I, I don't. So, um, but two things. I mean, most people can't afford to initiate a lawsuit. Uh, they, right. Particularly with um, what's it? The the uh, you lose, you pay provision in copyright suits. In other words, if you lose the suit, you pay the legal costs for the loser. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think, was initiated to discourage nuisance lawsuits, but it also has the effect of um, disenfranchising small businessmen uh, because it basically doubles their cost of the lawsuit if they lose. So, um, you know, businesses can afford that. Businesses can build that into their pricing structure. Right. Craftsmen can't. So, you know, I, I think that's a problem that actually can be solved, but um, I don't think anyone is, is, you know, thinking about what that solution could be. It has to do with cooperation. Well, where, does it, where did it start historically? I mean, Copy? This is, yes. I mean, uh, I thought it started with apprenticing, that that's how we all learn. Oh, I think there's been copying going on forever. But I, I don't think... Why, is it, why isn't there pride of not copying? How did copying become... Well, yeah. I mean, creativity is a modern virtue. I mean, if you you know, if you look back on you know um, uh, painting in the middle Middle Ages, it was all of a type, mm-hmm. and everybody was basically doing the same painting. The creativity had no value, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it was only only in the Renaissance when there became a secular audience for art when people began to think about you know invention. And it was it was the artists first, you know, it was people like Da Vinci who was who was a, a loner and a, a complete outlier in his own day, who who uh, kind of initiated this idea of, of artistic creativity, and that then it became um, it was given a logic and a, and a and a name in the Romantic movement in the in the 1700s. Uh, so the the artist became the the genius and mm-hmm. the visionary and the person inspired by, you know, something or other up there and became the superior being, bringing back the truth to us mere mortals and all this stuff. But until then, I don't think creativity had a lot of value. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought of it that way. Well. Is there a place today? What does it look like for today as opposed to the 70s? Okay, so 70s you became a maker and it was pretty clear. What does that path look like today for someone starting out their 70s version of being a maker? What's that path? What is it like now? Um, well, I think, I think in any contemporary moment there's sort of a range of aesthetic choices that are in the air. And most most beginners will glom onto one of those choices or another. Um, you know, the things that seem current and fashionable at that moment. You know, like I said back in the day, it was Scandinavian modern. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, it was pop art. I mean, I mm-hmm. I latched mm-hmm. onto pop art. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, you know, both those both those options are now antiques. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, They're collectibles. Don't call them yeah, antiques. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, a young person coming up now will look into the kind of contemporary atmosphere and and choose something that's sort of 
in there, something that's trendy and available. And um, is there something we can call it? I mean, pop art. Something oh, comes right to mind. It's a bunch of different things. Okay. It's a lot. It's actually, I think there's more choices now than there than there was in the '70s. Okay. Okay. And is there a path to a career choice? I mean, it seemed clear in the '70s, and then it's been getting fuzzier all along. Well, I think you have more ways to make money now, and and okay. a lot of the the kids I know they they have an Etsy shop, they right. they do shows, they do fairs, uh, they uh, go to rock and roll concerts and flog their wares. You know, they 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 have multiple income streams from multiple sources, and they don't think that any any one of those sources actually even should be the one that generates their all, all their income. Mm, mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is actually quite different from the established craft market where, where people think they can do five shows a year and make all their money. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, the young people I know are, are pursuing multiple um, sources of income. That's, that's one big difference. That makes uh, sense. And and they're they're trying to uh, the other thing they they have to do is is uh, tailor their work to a marketplace of their own cohort, you know, with their own taste. Do you think can an artist today make it just doing shows? Make a successful show? financial living just doing the craft shows. That's a good question. Um, yeah, or do I they need it, all I those know, other things? I know some people that are doing all right mm-hmm. in that venue, and they're. Uh, who are relatively no, new? I know a number of people who've been doing it for decades, and they're they're doing okay. They're not they're not great, but they're mm-hmm. doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, but I, I would I would certainly if I were to talk to a young person today now, I'd say you know don't count on any single one source. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. So the internet does prove how to get your work out to a much bigger market. Yeah, the internet's inefficient. I mean, there's relatively few people who actually make a living on Etsy, and and those that do are intensely commercial. Right, right, right. Um, but you know, the Etsy can can give you an, a nice little, fairly steady cash flow. Yes. So, you know why not? Plus, it gets your name out there, which is extremely useful. Well, it just gives you a validity and a website right away that's built into their. Mechanism right. where you can collect money and it's all built in. Besides, yeah, and, your own and site, you can actually stand out on Etsy. It might seem absolutely improbable considering how many people there are, but most of it is pretty low level. So it's not if if you're doing something really different or really you know well done or really you know something or other, you can stand out, um, and and you can use that use that to build your brand. Yes. Uh, if you can differ- if you can differentiate differentiate yourself on Etsy, you can differentiate yourself anywhere. <laughs> you know. And is that good today? Do you, is being different? Yes. That, okay, good. Yes, I, that's that's one thing that has not changed. Yay! Thank God. Yeah. It's important to have <clears throat> that going on. Yeah, so, I mean, the easiest path to success in the craft marketplace is to be different. Yes, until other follows along. Yeah, well, then you just keep changing. And then you keep changing. Yeah, I agree. Is there a, if you were going to call today's world of what the look is, like we've used the word like pop art and Scandinavia and all of that, you've used the word clunky as another way you can describe what's today's overall sort of thing going on visually. Mm -hmm. What would be Mm -hmm. a name? So clunky, what else would you say? Um, Chaotic. Chaotic, okay. Kind of disorganized, sort of... uh, uh, what to my eye would initially appear to be uncomposed. Okay. Um, let's see, what else? Crusty is another word I like. There's, there's a lot of interest in, in really heavy textures. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Um, what else? Um, I was starting to feel like you were describing my life, so I'm glad we're back on this. <laughs> you have a crusty life? Crusty, <laughs> yeah. unorganized chaos. <laughs> I think there's, there's also something about uh, the look and feel of authenticity, mm. I, I, that's hugely important. And, and that's a code that changes from generation to generation. And the, the millennials have a different uh, sense of what constitutes the authentic. Mm-hmm. What does now? Uh, what, what now? Yes. What constitutes um, authentic? Um, it would be the contemporary manifestation of punk. 
I mean, punk was understood as being authentic because it seemed to be raw and mm-hmm. immediate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's why everyone loved the Ramones, let's say. I mean, mm-hmm. It sounded mm-hmm. like it came out of a garage, and everyone was, oh, yay, you know, untutored, raw, Brooklyn, right. yay. Right. And, and uh, it, it, so it had this aura of authenticity um, that, that people responded to, and, and I think that a lot of that has to do with commercial culture. I mean, you, you go to a mall, and everything is so bright yeah, and so yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. and so polished and after a while it just gets repulsive you know well isn't there vulnerability built into that authenticity that you can relate to as opposed to just the plastic branded here's another gap yeah yeah it's human it's approachable it's vulnerable it's um in a sense open yeah there's a lot of a, a lot of codes in there built into the idea of the of of the authentic um, I'm I'm less convinced by that because it can, the the problem is that it can be faked. I mean, you you could be a really good musician and you could do a punk sound. I mean, mm-hmm, it is possible mm-hmm. to fake. So I'm I'm a little skeptical. <laughs> Not you, but, huh? Not you. You would oh, never be skeptical. But the thing is that the, the kid, to to someone as young, it it doesn't matter. You know, they're not questioning the intention. They're, mm-hmm. they're looking at the form. They're looking at uh, the visuals. They're listening to the sound. And to them, if it appears to be authentic, it is authentic. You know, what can you say? Well, I have a belief that that's what shines through on the Internet when it's so hard to remove the interface of that, that, that what comes through as being authentic is what people then you know, relate to in this mass of just electronic everything. I think yeah, that's why texting works and all of that. It's because it's authentic. It's really the person. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, the presence of the person mm-hmm. in, in all their state of messiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually have a big believer in messiness. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at least sympathetic. <laughs> well, yeah, there is messy is, I think, part of the process. I mean, yeah, know. well, messy is part of life. And, yeah, you know, exactly. For that reason, I've always found that art that wasn't messy to be um, uh, kind of a misrepresentation. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the chaos that needs to be tamed, and then it looks pretty bad for a while. <laughs> or not. You know, I think a lot, of, a lot of people now are simply satisfied with a representation of the chaos. It's like that, that idea that came out of um, hip-hop that, you know, these guys were, were basically commenting about life on the street, and all they were doing was representing it. And yeah. sometimes it's pretty brutal and stupid, and these guys would say, hey, man, you know, I'm just showing you a picture of what's real. Yeah. And I don't know if that's an aesthetic excuse. I don't think that justifies very much, particularly when you talk about violence and, and sexism. But uh, that's, it's, it's a view, you know, it's a point of view. Hey, man, I'm just representing life as I see it. Yeah, but that's exciting. I like that. I always love to see what's new on the streets that way. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it's the most me appealing. Up to a point. There, there's certain things that just make me want to throw up, but hey. That, well, then you, you're back in your studio working anyway. Yeah, that's right. I'm not paying much. People like me will report into you when need be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I adore talking to you. I just adore it. You just, I love your point of view and everything that you know. And, and thank you so much for sharing. I know everyone else listening has enjoyed it as well, Mr. Bruce Metcalf. And you can go to Bruce's site. It's your name, correct? BruceMetcalf.com. BruceMetcalf.com. Very yeah. easy. Thank you again. All right. My pleasure. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that talk. I know I did. I have so much fun talking to people. That's just my thing. What can I tell you? <laughs> so thank you very much, Bruce, for that. And all of you who don't have the CraftCast app, go buy it because there's another bonus question. Bruce talks about his personal experience and reflection on having his work copied. And uh, that bonus audio file is only over at the CraftCast app. So go on over to uh, iTunes and you can pick that up. So that's that. And now the ET part of the show, my entertaining thoughts part of the show. What have I been thinking about here? Well, as I told you in the beginning, I have a new class coming up called Don't Quit Your Daydream. And here's a little little tip, just a little, little, little something uh, from some of the exercises in that class, because we talk a lot about uh, getting productive. How do we get productive? 
you know the drill. There's Facebook to do. There's always something else to do. There's a there's always a tunnel we go down that eats up our time. And we don't get to do the things we were supposed to do or wanted to do or should do or whatever the list is. So how do we actually get those things done? All right. Here's one little tip. It sounds silly, but it's powerful. Write it in your schedule. I'm going to repeat that. Write it in your schedule. It is so much harder to avoid that way, A. B, you actually put a time down for it. So you're not just thinking, oh, if I have time, you're actually seeing it in there. And you're no longer just keeping it in your head because things that stay in your head don't usually make it to the to-do list, just saying. So take a look, write it into your schedule. I don't care if it's, I mean, for me, I even do it. I write in things that are just even 10 minutes because if I want to get it done, it has to be in my schedule. Uh, even if I see it, I do everything digitally online. I see it written there and maybe I don't want to do it or I've run out of time, but it, then at least I move it to someplace else. You know, it's still out there in the actual reality universe of, uh, when it's going to get done, but then it's at least moved to Tuesday morning at 8 AM or something. So that is a really important, seems silly, but I dare you to try it if you're not getting something done and you're saying complete my polymer bracelet, put my metal clay design, you know, going, uh, whatever it is, write it in your book where you write everything down that you have to do and give it a time frame. It'll get you going. I promise you that yet. <laughs> so there you go. You know, I love hearing from all you guys. So come on over to craftcast.com. You can write, um, if you need anything, write, talk to my dear friend, Sally, who helps out support at craftcast.com or Allison at craftcast.com. Uh, and we love hearing from all of you. It's always a pleasure. Come on over and take a class, have fun with us. And until next time, you know what I have to say, get your butt in the chair and keep crafting. Just get yourself right into your chair